seconds flat. Give me up. Look at Bill! Look at Bill! This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Blake Zero. Oh, my gosh. Hey, friends. Welcome to Mile 76 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Coming at you in studio from Run In on Washington Street at Cleveland Park in Greenville, South Carolina. Got my friend Cosmo back in for this one. Cosmo, how you feeling, buddy? Feeling great. A little broken after the race yesterday, but I feel fantastic otherwise. We're going to get into that in a moment. (laughs) Greenville Half Marathon yesterday. Cosmo had a new personal best. That's right. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit of his training and racing as it ties into our two key topics for today. Maybe the two most commonly used analogies in training and running, those are going to the well, and particularly in marathoning, hitting the wall. So we'll dive into what those really mean, how much we want to go to the well, avoid it, how we can change our training maybe so that we don't hit that wall. Before we do first, let's get a brief weekend update from the world of track and field and road racing from Japan. Lake Biwa Marathon took place this weekend in Japan. It's last running in its current iteration. It's going to be folded into a larger mass participation event, not the traditional elite-only race. New Japanese national record was set, 20456. More staggering statistic, 40 Japanese men, 40, 40 Japanese men ran under two hours and 10 minutes in a marathon yesterday. This goes to suggest that perhaps the 100 million yen incentive program for the national record may have worked. Sounds like it. Now... They're no longer getting that incentive, I want to point out. There was no 100 million, not dollar, 100 million yen mm-hmm. bonus yesterday. I don't know if perhaps they'll go back and pay that out now, but the program is over because that was originally a lead up to the 2020 right. Olympic Games. So new national record, 204.56, incentivized program has worked well there, mm-hmm. and it shows the quality and depth of Japanese distance running. It's such a cultural phenomenon particularly a very high mileage approach Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to see how different parts of the world tackle training and some of the topics that we'll get into later based on their cultural heritage Mm -hmm. of running and in japan it is generally a very high mileage approach as an example of how deep this field was our man yuki 2018 Boston Marathon champion. Mm -hmm. New personal best for him. That's a guy who's run a ton of marathons, dozens and dozens. Mm -hmm. Sets a new PR, and it's good for all of 10th place in this race. (laughs) That's crazy. A former Boston champion. So really exciting action from Japan. Domestically, on the track, we had conference indoor track meets. Mm Mm-hmm. With the overlapping, simultaneous, pseudo-winter cross-country season, because a lot of conferences postponed from the fall. From the indoor conference championships, my biggest takeaway, the SEC mate... Mate? Yeah. It was, it's borderline Australian it there. Is. <laughs> the SEC meet was electric. Matt Bowling. Yeah. Phenom. The young star grabbed some fame when he was referred to as white lightning in his high school days and a really interesting discussion as an aside on that note you might want to take a look at online the Otto Bolden conversation about race and sprinting the cultural underlying implications that we put on it here in the United States Mm -hmm. whereas Otto Bolden 
who is, if you're unfamiliar, the NBC broadcaster for most of their big-time sprint competitions, coming from a Central American Caribbean background and having competed globally, and of course track is a huge sport on the European continent, he sees Matt Bowling as just another good sprinter mm -hmm. because he sees in other cultures around the world there are talented sprinters, both just in pure speed, but also their skill level and their technique yeah. who look a whole bunch of different kind of ways. Mm -hmm. And we are so quick here to pigeonhole people. And so there was some conversation of, has Matt Bowling gotten more hype than he deserves because his skin color looks more like most people in the United States? Mm. He earned some of the reputation once again this weekend, 2037 in the 200 meters at the SEC Indoor Championships, that is a current 200-meter world lead indoor. But a bigger story there was on the women's side of racing. Athing Mu, 158.4 for the 800 meters. That's nice. World under 20, I believe, and also NCAA indoor 800-meter record Whew. from a freshman in college. That's crazy dynamite yeah so these are both athletes that could become run to see this year at the olympic trials mm -hmm. and in cycles going forward mm -hmm. because we are getting the hybrid where some teams are running cross country this yeah. winter as well you had some conference cross country meets and i hope our boy benji is mentally and emotionally well this morning mm. because those of you who have listened to the show for years know there is one cross-country program that he is invested in mm -hmm. more than any other that is the northern arizona team yep. the lumberjack benji's always talking about chopping wood <laughs> and the mike smith system flagstaff arizona they have an incredible team multi-time national champions they have looked phenomenal mm. in season and wouldn't you know it at big skies this weekend Little old Southern Utah, sneaking around the chicken coop, <laughs> steals a conference crown from the number one team in the nation, Ooh. Northern Arizona. Look at that. I think it was a three-point margin, maybe 35 to 38. That's close. I didn't break down and look through individuals. I don't know that both teams ran everybody or not. Regardless, NAU seemed so dominant. Mm -hmm. But Southern Utah home of former Bowerman winner Cam Levins. Speaking of high mileage guys, he'd fit in well in the Japanese system. That's in Cedar City. Cosmo, you ever been to Cedar City, Utah? No, I haven't been west of the Mississippi, brother. Is that real? No, it's not true. <laughs> you just totally made that up. I haven't been to Cedar City, that's oh. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Fooled me. Yeah, yeah, well. I would assume that your uh, music days, the Steel Toad Stilettos, took you to the West Coast. Uh, you know, I got out of the West Coast for some music uh, a few times, but never stuck. I yeah. always came home. East of the Mississippi, your Cosmo. West of the Mississippi, <sighs> your Boots, though. I just found out about your stage persona. Oh yeah, no one, knows, no one really knows about Boots. What's Boots's last name? Wallace? Boots Walker. Walker, close and the, enough. And the Smooth Talkers. Yeah, Boots you haven't Walker. heard of them? No. Well. Oh yeah. Well, we'll probably play some of it on the uh, on the exit from this episode. Well, I, I believe that we have a new album coming out in the fall. Boots Walker and the Smooth Talkers, Cedar City, Utah. You need to get a gig there. That's a. It's a sneaky really good place to train a little bit of elevation nice little town i ate one of the best pizzas i've ever had in cedar really? city i might look that place up mm -hmm. and link them in the show notes you and should. give them a little love you should. I had a good trip out there maybe one of the most underrated natural spaces in the west okay is at cedar breaks national monument you're right in the shadows of uh, zion mm -hmm. bryce canyon is really close mm -hmm. And I went to Cedar Breaks, virtually no crowd, yeah. beautiful natural amphitheater. Mm -hmm. And it's one of these international dark sky parks okay. where they, they limit natural light in the area. Interesting. Absolutely beautiful. We've gone completely off the rails. Yes, you have. I appreciate you blaming me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Boots. This is, how it, this is how it goes, though, isn't it? Well, it does. And... I'll try to come back here and say that <laughs> good for Southern Utah. You won a Big Sky Conference championship. I'd say that Northern Arizona is likely still a heavy heavy favorite yeah. at 
NCAA cross. But those were my two biggest collegiate moments from the weekend. We also had the Trials of Miles event in Austin. Our man Frank the Tank Lar, a friend of the show, was out there. He is going to join us in an upcoming episode to recap his past year and also preview the upcoming Gate River Run 15K USA Road Racing Championship in Jacksonville, where he is the defending champion. Okay. So we'll have him and the race director, Doug Allred, coming on. You've run this race, haven't you? Fantastic race. I'll, I'll save my opinions there for that upcoming episode but can't recommend it enough to people and then locally the big story is the greenville half marathon the winners were our own james quadlebaum in 63 58 largely solo for most of the race second place finisher another friend of the show who we interviewed last summer eddie garcia that's right greenville track club elite go back and listen to eddie garcia's interview if you haven't just a wonderful Mm, guy yeah he is a tremendous guy in the women's race it was emma nigel from outside of atlanta georgia in 116 47 emma actually ran at um, mississippi state okay another sec connection on the show today yeah i believe she's canadian i could have made that up though maybe there was something about her that seemed Canadian. Did she say A a lot? I, no, I, I actually think I remember this, that she's maybe from Alberta. Okay. I could have looked this up, but you know what? I'm, maybe I'll invite her on the show. Yeah, do it. We can talk about The Canadian running scene is hot right now. That's right. Natasha Wodak hit on that when we had her on a few episodes ago. The distance scene in Canada is on the come up. Emma Nigel, great performance. It was fun. Yeah. Fun to just have normal racing again. Yeah. Obviously, there's you know social distancing constraints and masks and all that stuff at the start line. And but once it thins out and you're just in a race again, it yeah. felt almost normal. It did yesterday. It did. Besides that start line, and, and no one minded it. You know, everyone yeah. just wore the masks to the line. Yeah, there was enough social distance there to to be comfortable, and they just throw the mask on and, and go at the gun. Yeah, if if I have to wear a mask to a start line and we have to have waves, yeah, and that's all I have to sacrifice to run a race again yeah i'll happily do that every time yeah it was fun a ton of our athletes had great days so kudos to everybody i i want to make it a bigger story about the community running culture yeah because yes a lot of people ran well some people set prs yeah they did you among them i did yeah more significantly there were so many encouraging friendly faces mm-hmm. so happy to be out and to continue to uplift this sport and uplift our community. Yeah, it was a beautiful day. It was so much fun to be out there with all these guys that you've been training towards this, you know, this half with, um, and for everybody to, to, to PR or get close to it um, and have a good day out there. The weather was perfect for it. Yeah, nice and cool, little drizzle before yeah. the race. Yeah. And it's it's set up well. Yeah, roads are a little wet, but mm-hmm. nothing that n- nothing, no flooding or um, not too many puddles out there. So it felt good to race again, that's for sure. And I hope folks who listened to our podcast preview episode of the race got a little help with strategy. Um, we had great feedback on on the video that you were instrumental in creating with yeah, me man. on our YouTube channel, Seconds Flat by Run In. Check that stuff out if yep. you haven't already, and hopefully that helped uh, people on their path yesterday to enjoying uh, the beauty of racing again. I'm so thankful for it. We may touch more on that race throughout the episode here and draw on a little bit of your experience. Sure. um, Because I think it ties back to our central focus for this episode, which is one going to the well. We see this as more of a training related phenomenon. Yeah. Then second hitting the wall which we often then connect with our racing experiences. And I believe that there is a way in which these are intertwined Mm -hmm. that we will reconnect. So we'll start with going to the well. This discussion stems in part from some questions you raised to me, theoretical, but also experiential in your training. There there is a a sense of wondering what's right Mm -hmm. and then trying to feel out your own experience of how hard you're going within workouts that I'm prescribing for you. Right. And before we go into both these topics, I do want to add just 
one piece to consider throughout the entirety of this discussion. I'm going to, particularly in the second half, get into some deeper scientific thought, review a little bit of the literature on topics related to how, when, and why you hit the wall. Yeah. My hope is to simplify that a little bit to make it palatable for everyone while still keeping the integrity of that actual science. Mm -hmm. But the point that I want to remind everyone here is often in our training, coaching, or running, we're, we're a step ahead of the science. You know, we're a step ahead of what the science is creating or recreating in a lab setting. Mm -hmm. we, we have to figure those things out in practice. Yeah. And this is where then the bridge between our training and the lab setting with the case studies in between where we look at the links can be really valuable. But don't get overwhelmed and too caught up in the science. Use it as your friend. Mm -hmm. Use it as one tool to help you. Uh, but know that there's real world, real life experience that each of us has that while it might be anecdotal, it's your own and it's significant to you or it's significant to someone you run with or coach. And it's important to know that that might be just a step ahead of some of the science that I break down in how it directly impacts you. Mm -hmm. I think when we fuse and meld those two fields of actual training and theory, we could help you take a, a step today toward being less likely to hit the wall. Yeah. So let's begin with your question of going to the well. Yeah, I think that's terminology that you introduced at the conversation. I wasn't familiar with the phrase at first, but I am familiar with in our culture, um, our athletic, our running culture. Oftentimes, I will find that me and friends that I'm running with or working out with will often want to, quote unquote, leave it all out there. Mm -hmm. That we will, you know, follow a workout as prescribed, but we'll always push ourselves further uh, than we think we can go a lot of times um, or uh, further than what the workout prescribes at least. So my question was, is it helpful or hurtful to leave it all out there in a training session? You raise an important point that we should step back to first is in case listeners are unfamiliar with the analogy of going to the well. Yeah. Visualize this now, the idea that we go to the well to get water out, that mm -hmm. we need to sustain our lives. Every time we do, there is the potential that we are dropping the water level. And the water table gets so low at some point, and we work so hard that can we even get to the water? Mm -hmm. Have we dried out our water source? And how many times can we then as you put it, leave it all out there, mm -hmm. go to that well before it dries up, before we've left too much out there in training. Right. Or can we even do that? Is that even possible? Mm -hmm. Are we just assuming that? To pivot back to the specific point in your question, is it helpful or hurtful to leave it all out there in training? First, focus in on what are you training for? from the feedback I get from our listeners, a lot of distance events, a lot of marathoners, a lot of 5K runners. Yeah. Remember that these events are overwhelmingly aerobic. Mm -hmm. As such, aerobic training should be our main focus. It's not our only focus, yeah. but it's our primary focus. Marathoning is somewhere in this probably 98-ish percent aerobic event. Mm -hmm definitely not less 5k running is 80 plus percent aerobic yeah so aerobic work should be our bedrock okay is leaving it all out there is going to the well in your workout actually changing the intention of the workout mm -hmm. and shifting it away from an aerobic focus mm -hmm. are we no longer building skills that are the most valuable for our race yeah Think about it this way. The physiological demand of marathoning and being highly aerobic suggests that training at mile pace probably has very little place in your training cycle. 
because the exceptions obviously would be your strides could cross that pace zone. Yeah. Hill sprints may cross that pace zone. So it has a little bit of a, a place. Yeah. However, we're not doing a ton of work there. Why would you, in trying to establish wise training, then end every workout shifting to where now I'm running reps that are in these faster pace ranges that just don't translate? Peer pressure. Yeah, peer pressure <laughs> could be. This is an important note, though. Yeah. Coach Richie Hansen last week from Roots Running pointed out the delicate balance of group running. We get better because we have people to push us. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any suggestion here that you shouldn't push yourself in, in workouts. I mean, this this conversation in no way means don't run hard. Right. We'll drill down on how hard and how often. Okay. But you got to run hard. But you have to keep it in check with a confidence mm -hmm. to know what is appropriate for you. He nailed that point. Yeah. It's significant to know what is wise to do, not just what you can do. Could we get on the track at the end and run the last lap at mile pace? Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Is that right for the day? Mm -hmm. And so that's a conversation that you have to have if you have a coach with your coach of what your goals are and what's appropriate for those goals. Yeah. But if you're just out training yourself, trying to get better at 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, Keep in check the reality of, is this really hard push through this workout the best thing to actually improve mm -hmm. my performance? That's a good point. had this conversation yesterday with, with a runner. Is the goal about fitness or is the goal about performance? Mm -hmm. If you just want to get fit, do the things that are going to get you fit. But performance is really different. Yeah. That's a totally That's a different aspect. Yeah. We'll come back here in, in the second half also in how this relates to the paces that you run to try to avoid hitting the wall, yeah. how they suit where you actually get better for your performance. I would look at this from a sense of you leave it all out there in a race, Yes, right? A race is your most difficult workout at both physical and mental levels. Mm -hmm. That's where you're going to leave it all out there. You leave most workouts hopefully feeling like maybe I could have done one more rep mm -hmm. or I could have done the last one a bit faster. Potentially both of those yeah. scenarios I could come to. Okay. For most people, most of the time, that's true. Yeah. To go back to a statement I made earlier, if you're training for the mile, you probably feel like you've gone to the well much more often mm -hmm. than someone training for a marathon. Okay. Because of the demands physiologically of racing an all-out mile, the acidosis that you go through, that experience, whether you've gone to the well or not is a different debate probably, but you certainly feel like you have. Yes. Okay. That, that's, again, a reflection of the demand of the event. But to step back from a bigger picture, why would we not want to run really hard, right? right? What, why wouldn't we be saying, run hard, get faster, get better, yeah. right? We've, we've talked a million times on here about how you run hard and then you recover, you go really easy and you get the adaptation when you're not doing the activity. Right. The hard activity, all it's doing is tearing your body down. Mm -hmm. It's the rest, recovery, the sleep, that stuff that helps build you back up and you actually adapt and improve there. Right. And so I think this is a nuance that's significant for a lot of amateur, novice, maybe to intermediate, and even somewhat experienced runners, and then also experienced runners of a certain age, mm -hmm. these going all out efforts involve a bigger risk of injury. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is part of what um, led you to this question. That's right. right? You want to share just a little bit about that experience for you? Some weeks I train alone, but my favorite weeks are the weeks where the whole crew will get together for a track Tuesday or workout Wednesday mm -hmm. and um, get out there and, and work together. Oftentimes, a few of us will, you know, the, the guys who have races coming up will kind of lead the workouts and everybody else will follow along. And obviously, everyone will eventually fall into their own pace zones and some will run faster, some will run slower. 
And I've noticed that I always want to keep up with the guys that are faster than me later on in sets. Um, later on in the, those later reps, I want to push as hard as I can in order to quote unquote, leave it all out there and not, and not withhold any of the, the energy that I've got at the moment. So yeah, the, the question or the, the experiences were just trying to keep up with people that are faster than me in a context where it's not necessarily helpful or I didn't feel it was helpful, but I still felt the pressure to do that. It's something I think that came from, you know, my previous um, training experiences, you know, in the days where maybe I was doing a football workout back in the day. And it was, uh, it was praised to leave it all out there and to go hard every time. It was very cultural for me. Um, and I've, I've seen that to be uh, similar uh, these days with track workouts and the rest of the guys as well. A lot of the guys won't hold back to make sure that we stay on pace. We want to keep up with the group. So that's what I was noticing in myself. And over time, I noticed uh, minor, little minor... Some niggles started yeah, to show up, didn't they? Minor injuries, minor, minor little things that um, probably could have been helped, but seemed to have come from that last set of strides that I tried to keep up with Brad or on <laughs> or, you know, the, those, um, those 800s where I was trying to keep up and, you know, not, not necessarily, it didn't feel bad in the moment, but recovery didn't seem as smooth as it otherwise would have when I would have kept my paces. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it's great. So a few points come to mind here. One is you're probably not going to get a ton better if you constantly train with people who are, significantly slower than you mm -hmm. so there is something about a little bit of a press with with a group but i think it's more in a sense of can i get through the mental doubts that often come up in a workout of i was assigned let's make up something eight by a thousand meters and i get to number four and it's starting to feel hard mm -hmm. the value of the group is in encouraging and supporting yeah. and carrying one another through the other four mm-hmm Sometimes, though, there could be reasons why you might stop early, probably another discussion. But the value of the group is not in when you're given a number to run those Ks in, again, making it up three minutes and 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And someone else in the group is running them all in 315, whether that's because that's their ability level or they're in over their head. Right. Going and running 315 with them is not the value of the group in this particular instance. Mm -hmm. You called it peer pressure. Some level of truth to that, I guess. Sure. Self-imposed. Yeah, self-imposed. <laughs> I like that. Um, it's, it's, it's the competitive drive, though. About, yes, about... it is the competitive drive. And right. you know where competitive drive is really good? Racing. In competitions. <laughs> yeah. Right. That doesn't help going to 315 if it's not the intention of the workout. Right. Know your purpose. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't want to overanalyze and get over technical, mm -hmm. but if the goal for the day was to run them at 3.30, that was probably for a specific stimulus. Right. Okay. And, and doing what someone else is doing may not be right for you. Mm -hmm. So I would extend the analogy a step and say, if you go to the well every time and you too often press and press and press... Mm -hmm. Might the well be dry on race day right. when the actual competition occurs? Mm -hmm. You don't have anything to draw on, perhaps in part because you're not feeling great. Yeah. So for you, just some little minor nicks right now, I mm -hmm. think, are, are accurate that appeared yesterday in running a half marathon that you could still run and ran well, mm -hmm. but you didn't get your A performance. That's right. That's okay because it wasn't your A race either. It was a stepping stone race for you. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there were other people who were on the line yesterday who are listening right now thinking, for whatever reason, something nagged me during the race mm -hmm. and I couldn't get my A performance and it was an A race for me. It was my big goal. Mm -hmm. I was super excited. I've been training well and I got four weeks out and something manifested itself. Yeah. And that's part of why we bring the topic up here is – for you all to reflect and say, am I working too hard in certain instances? Distance runners are highly motivated people. I often spend more time pulling them back than I do pushing them. 
conversely, did you get on the line yesterday and have a poor performance because you didn't push yourself at all? Mm -hmm. You need to evaluate that too. Yeah. Have I been too soft and not put the work in? Assess on both ends. I'm going to now mix to a different analogy that is almost silly in this setting, but it's the first that comes to mind of how this gets done effectively. And I think about fishing. Okay. If you look at, say, the salmon population in the Pacific Northwest, Columbia River. Okay. When they got overfished and the river got overpolluted and there's too many dams that we're using for all kinds of energy and all these other factors happening, what happens to the salmon population? They're depleted. It's depleted. It plummets. Yeah. All right. Overfishing is such a short-term reward. It has no long-term incentive. Yeah. It's the, I want to make, catch all the fish and make all the money and no, eat all yeah. the food now, now, now. Right. Yeah. It is not the, I want to sustain this and have a population to go to for decades on end. Yeah. It's short-sighted. It's short-sighted. Why does it happen? It's the traditional, it's the tragedy of the commons. Mm -hmm. I fear that if I don't use it because it's not rationed out, someone else is going to use it mm -hmm. and we all kill the resource. Mm -hmm. Guess what? In our situation, we don't even have that commons effect to worry about. No one else is using up our energy and our workouts. Yeah. It's self-imposed completely. Right. Yeah. And so I go to this because now we see sustainable fisheries and the reemergence of the Pacific Northwest or off the New England coast of fishing certain species that were nearly gone. Mm -hmm. And we had to come together and agree on how much of it we could use. Mm -hmm. How many times could we go to that source and mm -hmm. pull from it? How many times could we go to the well? And so how often we do that depends on what we're training for. As I mentioned earlier, I feel like this has been a a bit disjointed. So let me circle back to that. You might feel like you're going to the well more for a mile mm -hmm. than you are for a marathon, but that's probably more so just a level of specificity. Okay. All right. So in reality, it might be more about how much are you going to the well in other spaces in your life? Okay. I think that one caught up with you. That's right. I, I bet it did. Work, sleep, new baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that'll do it. Check those boxes. It's pretty easy for me as an outsider to see it. Yeah. So for everyone out there, keep that in mind. How often are you going to the well in other spaces? Stress is stress. Mm -hmm. Lack of sleep hurts everything. Mm -hmm. Just be aware of that. Is there is there job stress? Is there personal life stress? Whatever's, you know, relationships, family, diet, yeah. any number of things. Keep a balance there because if we're not going to the well in those at all, we might be able to do it more in our running and mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then add to that your individual recovery horizons. All right. We know this intuitively based on how we feel when we go to work out. There was a moment about a year and a half ago. It was right before the pandemic. I was in a training cycle for some marathon probably Things were feeling really good, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to experiment with the old, like, high school cross-country model one week and remember what it was like to work out hard on a Tuesday and a Thursday and then the weekend long run. It's really common for younger people to work out twice in a week. Mm -hmm. It might be more common at the collegiate level for those days to be different. It could be a, like... If it's a race week, a lot of times it might be Monday and Thursday or something. Or if it's not a race week, it could be a Tuesday and Friday. Yeah. And then a long run on the weekend. Okay. Regardless, I just thought I'd do this to see how I felt. And I got to Thursday and I got into the Thursday workout and I thought, well, there's a reason I don't do this anymore. <laughs> right. I know my body. It doesn't work. Right. I'm just not recovered enough. Mm -hmm. Even if... I add doubles, which we have mentioned is one of the reasons you might do that mm -hmm. is to help with your recovery. Right. Perhaps because you add more sessions of easy running, you might be able to condense some recovery horizons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got to Thursday. I thought it just wasn't that good. And so I didn't get enough out of the week. I probably sacrificed Friday, Saturday, and Sunday by forcing Thursday. Mm -hmm. So know what works for you. Mm -hmm. 
as an individual. You might not have a lot of experience, but you know how your body feels. So stay in tune with that. With all that said, we still have occasional times where you want to end a workout. Let's maybe state it a little differently. Hands on knees. You know, you could hear that. If you're tired. You're bent over yeah. at the end of a workout. Sometimes you'll hear the uh, the seeing Jesus workout, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, these are other analogies that could be in along the lines of going to the well. You have to test yourself. You have to, at times, run hard when you're fatigued Mm -hmm. because that is going to happen in a race. Mm -hmm. But don't overdo it. I would say for most people, if you race enough, that could be the place where you go to the well. If you like to race Mm -hmm. and you're building to, say, a marathon, well, let a 10K or a 15K or a half marathon be some of those days. Mm -hmm. If you're not racing much and this is just more about training, maybe you need to look at, okay, every few microcycles, there's one of these in there where we really press it, but it's surrounded by other more manageable stuff. Yeah, We've mentioned the Renato Canova special block days with two workouts on the same day mm-hmm. that he'll put into his marathon training. Demanding, but it also is followed by a number of days, in this case, even for elites, because generally elites might be able to go to the well more often because of how highly trained they are. Makes sense, right? How much water do they have in the well? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's deep. It's deeper. Yeah, for sure. But even for his elites, there are days and days afterwards yeah. of really, really easy running. Mm-hmm. So you have to know yourself. Know thyself. And along with that, know uh, why you're doing what you're doing when you're doing it. Exactly. I see. Let's use this moment to transition to the second half Mm -hmm. because I just mentioned fatigue and fatigue is a a great talking point on hitting the wall Mm -hmm. because I lobbed a softball to Coach Hansen on the last episode and said, what is the greatest limiting factor for virtually everyone in the marathon? Yeah. And he said, it's fatigue. We all think of that in the sense of, oh, we got tired. Right. But what does it mean specific to running? My favorite definition comes from Dr. Michael Joyner. Fantastic research on fatigue that he's done. He would qualify this as no longer being able to hit your expected pace. Mm -hmm. It is preceded by a period in which you hit that pace, but it takes more and more effort. Mm -hmm. And it becomes increasingly more difficult to maintain, and then you can't hit it. All right. Apply that in our own lives. Everyone who's run a long-distance race can think of, I got to mile nine in my half marathon, and I was still running the pace, but it got really hard. And then at mile 11, I couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. So using that definition of fatigue, maybe we could identify the wall as the point at which the sustainable becomes unsustainable. Okay. Why does it become unsustainable now is what we want to help you unwrap. Yeah. And then add in, are there times when going to the well or not going to the well can help it become more sustainable? Mm -hmm. All right. So there is no question 26.2 miles is a challenging distance. It's testing human limits. But is there actually a wall or is this at least in part a product of your training and or racing approach? That's the question. Right? Yep. I'll first answer it with another question. Do it. What's the fueling strategy? Mm -hmm. We need glycogen for the muscles, Mm -hmm. glucose in the bloodstream for the brain to help fend off fatigue. Mm Mm-hmm. We have to be able to operate those things at a high level to continue to run well late in a race. Physiologically. Physiologically. And study after study shows that carbohydrate consumption during the race helps increase that ability to perform. And as we've discussed here also, the gut is highly trainable, Mm -hmm. which allows you to practice and increase how much you consume and how easily you digest it. We hear all the time from people who struggle taking gels or whatever substance they use in a race. Okay, so one, have you practiced enough with it? Two, are you using the right things? I'm not saying that's necessarily an easy answer for everyone, 
But I do believe for a lot of people, if we practiced it more and more effectively and more appropriately to ourselves, okay. we might find a combination that would allow us to take more during a race right. and stay more focused. We had Enoch Nadler on a couple of years ago now after he had a huge race in Toronto. Yeah. And I think he said he took eight gels <laughs> during that marathon and started with a water bottle that had a mixture in it. Mm -hmm. And I know he also now is a, a user of a kind of long lasting release amino acid supplement too. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that's affecting how many gels he takes, but he's mm -hmm. added that into the mix also. So he's getting a lot of carbs in that might be too much for you mm -hmm. find your sweet spot but know as you practice you might be able to get a little more than you currently think okay but more importantly fatigue is a byproduct of the impact the wear and tear the the use of the calling on these energy sources during the race mm -hmm. going to the well now we are going to that well in a race situation mm -hmm. and it brings us to that wall. Yeah. So we need to consider the factors that we are training that are associated with marathon performance. There's a long, long list of those, but mm -hmm. I think these are specific maybe to this metaphorical wall and they overlap in a lot of ways. So I'll just ask you what your first thoughts are. Like what are the skills or the uh, the systems that when you're looking at preparing for a marathon that you think, oh, this is why I'm doing this. This is what this is preparing me for. This uh, mm. is developing X, Y, and Z. What, what kind of things do you think you have to have to be able to run a marathon? Cardiovascularly, you have to be able to sustain. Mm -hmm. I guess you have to be able to sustain the pace that you're, your goal pace. Mm -hmm. Outside of those two systems, what do you mean? So you hit two important things. One is simple endurance. Yeah. If you run for three hours, let's say it shows you have at least the basic potential to run a three hour marathon because you can run for that long. Mm -hmm. right? right. If you go out and try to run for three hours and you get to an hour and it is your physical limit of how long you can run. Yeah. Not only is three hours a problem, mm -hmm. but just the marathon in general is right. Right. So you hit on that endurance factor, which is cardiovascular, but also pounding impact kind of stuff, too. Yeah. And you got to goal pace, which could be a big wall problem for some people. Right. Is this goal pace realistic? Mm -hmm. Is this where I should be? Marathoning is in so many ways a somewhat of a, a psychological construct because we throw a dart at the board mm -hmm. and see what time we're trying to hit. Yeah. OK, so let's take that to actual physiological factors than the play in a lot of folks would look at lactate threshold that is a multi-tiered definition there's so many lactate turn points mm -hmm. that it can be really difficult to define for the average person when i'm using this now in this conversation we're considering what science would refer to as your maximal lactate steady state okay this tends to be around one hour pace. Mm -hmm. So that brings us back to when we talk about threshold running and tempo, tempo running or race paces that are associated with an hour or a comfortably hard feel. Mm -hmm. I keep bringing up so many synonyms for this because it's so difficult for some people to understand. So find the one that works for you. Mm -hmm. And I think lactate threshold connects well with the fatigue definition I presented is because this is really often the intensity at which an effort no longer becomes sustainable. If you use U.S. Olympic Training Center's protocol for lactate threshold testing, here's how they do it. You get on the treadmill, three minutes, increase the pace, three minutes, increase the pace, three minutes, over and over until we reach a point at which we see spikes in blood lactate. And typically they're gonna go through two really big spikes in the testing, each time being about a millimole spike in, in your blood lactate level. And that overlaps within this number that is produced and you can connect it with the, the speed you were moving, the mm -hmm. pace. I will add a point of 
maybe some controversy, it might not have anything to do with your blood lactate level. Okay. There's a chance that that is significantly less relevant than we think. But the reason it's important is because it overlaps with fatigue. You even hear some people talk about a fatigue threshold. Okay. Which is probably more consistent mm -hmm. and easier to define across all these different terms. Yeah. It could just be that there are physiological processes happening that are correlated to and or associated with lactate levels yeah. that are the real cause of your fatigue. Okay. But there's overlap, mm -hmm. so we can use it. Running economy would be hugely significant. This is the oxygen cost associated with any pace. For a discussion of hitting the wall, it would be sub-maximal running. So what's the op oxygen cost of sub-maximal running? And how can we improve that? How can we be become more economical? Mm -hmm. As we've mentioned, often really high VO2 max doesn't correlate and can, in fact, go the opposite direction mm -hmm. from economy. Things like hill sprints are a great tool. We've mentioned them before in a, in a form and power sense. Mm -hmm. They're a really great tool for running economy. Okay. Those short 8, 10, 12-second hill sprints. Mm -hmm. You mentioned in a previous episode a question about some higher-level lifting, higher weight, maybe Olympic lifts. Yeah. Those could fit in here potentially as a way to improve economy as well, really? the firing that comes along with those. Okay. Uh, so, so maybe lactate threshold, maybe your running economy. These, again, are the variables we want to train so that we are less likely to hit the wall. Mm -hmm. The science today leans a lot toward a discussion of critical speed mm -hmm. or critical power, which comes from cycling because that's where a lot of this testing was done. I sent you a podcast interview with a um, sports scientist, Andy Jones, yeah. on this topic recently. Critical speed to define is if you exercise below this, it is below this intensity. It's marked by an ability to hold all these other physiological variables constant and seemingly you can run for a really long time, mm -hmm. close to indefinitely, with the caveat that in reality we know climate starts to become a factor when you're racing outside, yeah. energy intake. Yeah. But theoretically, you can run this a really, really long time. Okay. And if you go above it, fatigue is imminent. Mm -hmm. You have a very limited amount of time you can run above it. Mm -hmm. You can actually extend that amount of time above it by training it. I see. But you're going to have, after a set amount of time, you're going to have to drop below this pace to recharge it. And recharging it is very individualized. Yeah. So for anyone who ran the half marathon this past weekend, if you felt like you got to a point where you went over a cliff a little bit yeah. and you had to dial it back for an extended period of time, I did. that might have been the place where you went past this. Mm -hmm. And then your ability to sustain above it maybe is limited in comparison to someone else who's trained this variable well, right. but also your individual characteristics of you as a human, this unique organism, dictate how long it might take you and how slow you have to go below it. There is still a little bit of a debate of how long of a race critical speed translates to. Mm -hmm. First, let's say how you would test it to find out what your number is. Okay. Most likely, the, the best measure is what we call a three-minute test. This is one of the most grueling things you can possibly imagine in sport if you actually do it appropriately. Imagine lining up. Go down to the track would be an easy place to do it because then you could get markers. Get a friend with you, maybe with a stopwatch. You're going to run for three minutes as hard as you can. Not how far can I cover in three minutes. I am running all out from the beginning of the three minutes. So you're taking off as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. Think about the feeling as you fatigue mm -hmm. through that three minutes. You're going to feel like you're barely moving at the end. Right. But that's actually where the magic happens in the test. Most protocols say the last 30 seconds average that pace that tends to overlap and give you your critical speed. All right. Some people would suggest you could do it for as long as the last 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. 
But essentially what you have then, if you want to go down to the track and put yourself in the pain cave, mm -hmm. is get a friend on the stopwatch and have that person then mark where you are at two and a half minutes mm -hmm. and mark where you finished. Mm -hmm. And you can figure out how much distance you covered in that last 30 seconds. Because yeah. we we're not using a GPS here. We're getting real measurement. And you could figure out your critical speed. Okay. To delineate it a little bit from CV pace that we is, is popular right now in some of those 10-man workouts. Right. There's a lot of studies that say it's really similar to your lactate threshold and therefore probably closer to your hour pace. To give you a couple that are out there, there is an elite swimmer study that showed virtually no difference in their sample between critical speed and lactate threshold. There is a study from the Journal of Physical Education and Sport that showed the two as statistically indifferent and highly correlated in a study of male 5K runners who had a mean 5K time of about 20 minutes. So that's a good group to measure here. Above average, we could say, recreational runners, adults, might strive for this number. Mm -hmm. Okay, So they so show the two as the same. There is a, uh, a, a Journal of Sports Science and Medicine article that presented it a little bit differently. It suggests in their study that critical speed was the same pace as what you might use in a broken threshold or broken tempo run. So it was not the same as your maximal lactate steady state. It's not that pace that you can just hold for a really, really long time mm -hmm. that we think of with tempo runs. Right. It's the what we always encourage on here as like five to one ratio, five minute to one minute ratio of a broken tempo. Mm -hmm. You tend to be able to do those just a touch faster, just a few seconds. And so what they found is that that maximal lac lactate steady state, what I'm using now as a threshold definition mm -hmm. is slightly slower than critical speed. So we started to see more of those studies get replicated and it suggests that critical speed might be in like a 45 to 60 minute all out test range. Okay. The Andy Jones group and their 2019 study and then a follow-up study in the journal of applied physiology where they call critical uh, speed, the gold standard. Mm -hmm. They use even a 20 to 30 minute window, possibly. I would add, though, a lot of this comes from cycling. Remember, it mm -hmm. comes from cycling. That's why I, me I mentioned running studies and a swimming study, because they're relating to speed more than they are power. Mm -hmm. But Andy Jones did a ton of this work with the Breaking 2 project. Mm -hmm. The preponderance of evidence suggests this pace might be just a touch faster than lactate threshold. Okay. For the average person, you could go do the three-minute test. Mm -hmm. You know what else you could do? What's that? Run a race that's kind of in this length of time. Sure. And if you run enough of them over a period, you're probably going to know your critical speed. And then you could use that because it's a percentage of that at which you can hold through a marathon. Next step, the higher it is, the more you can work it up, mm -hmm. the higher your ceiling it is for your marathoning. Okay. And two, the closer to critical speed that you can sustain, the longer you can hold a pace without running into that wall. Right. Okay. okay. Making sense. sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Andy Jones states in his study, I think the breaking two athletes, uh, it was somewhere like 96, 97% of critical speed that they could hold. Mm for that entirety of the race. Mm -hmm. And lactate threshold measurements would have suggested it should have been a little lower. So that's why, in one part, why they value okay. this this tool. Again, apply it to your running. For me, if I went out and run a, ran a 15K race, 50, a little bit over 50 minutes, mm -hmm. that's probably a really good value. If you ran three of those, or like once a month, now you probably have, it's not just a one-off race, and you probably have a very realistic idea of what that number actually is. Mm -hmm. So now I've given people hopefully something tangible that they could apply critical speed as a variable in improvement towards not hitting the wall. Mm -hmm. Because what Andy Jones did, here's the next study, they then addressed changes in critical speed. In this case, it was power because they used it with cycling over time. Do the test when you're fresh. Do it after you've cycled briskly for 40 minutes, okay. 80 minutes, and 120 minutes. At 120, there was a 9% drop, two hours. 
think about two hours into a marathon Mm -hmm. for a lot of people that's around the range Mm -hmm. where this wall hits so it gives us some implications for training Mm. one it's going to reinforce the value of working on some of these skills when you're fresh or at least before fatigue so you can improve them Mm -hmm. rather than just always doing long progression runs Mm -hmm. you got to work on it up front some too okay Next, it would be really interesting if they could recreate this study on more regular intervals and they, they tested them at like 50 minutes, 60 minutes, 70, you know, I'm asking a lot. I don't think that study's out there yet, yeah. um, but it does reinforce that raising this pace, which you can do by not just working at the pace, but also around it, mm-hmm. which to me has threshold implications again, because we talk about you can improve your running at threshold level speeds comfortably hard speeds 15k half marathon type pace by working slightly below it at it and above it pushing and pulling it Mm -hmm. you can do that with critical speed and so this is why those cv type paces that we see applied in a 10 man exercise are really just reinforcing what a lot of good runners have done for decades of training at around 10k pace mm-hmm. helps pull these numbers up right but vary those paces it, so all this science is it's great discussion it's a template to apply in practice in mm-hmm. our training it reinforces the value it's just more evidence that you should run paces like 8k 10k 15k half marathon mm-hmm. as different tools for improving if you want to use critical speed now as, a, as another option, you improve those to improve your performance and delay or minimize that wall. Mm-hmm. If those are so good at keeping us from hitting the wall mm-hmm. and the scientific literature suggests that at a certain point beyond critical speed, we're not working it, we're not improving it anymore mm-hmm. like you would if you just tried to run, say, mile pace all the time. Yeah. Why go there frequently mm-hmm. at the end of training to that well yeah. if your goal is a marathon? That's good. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe the more applicable well thought analogy mm-hmm. for the marathoner is just be cautious with the number of reps now. So it, are you going are you going to the well and saying that, oh, I'm going to dig out one more? Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a place for that. But reflect know yourself Mm -hmm. have i been doing that every day Mm -hmm. have i been doing it every hard workout for the past five weeks that's an issue to think about okay if you're interested in the critical speed stuff without diving into many into more science i've already done a decent amount of that here and i know that can get overwhelming for people who are not scientists or who are not like me and read a lot of scientific literature that's fascinating it is fascinating and uh, alex hutchinson at Outside uh, Magazine and Outside Online Mm -hmm. has done some really good work of turning that into stuff the layman can understand. And some of the Andy Jones studies are referenced there with his work. I I would add the other factors here that we haven't touched on that I think are important to that wall. Principle of specificity. Yep. Okay, this is when I mentioned where we like to assign marathon-specific work. Mm -hmm. In that last block, It makes the most sense there. Mm-hmm. We have to be good at doing the specific work. But I don't know that the principle of specificity applies to a two-year training cycle. Right. Uh, you have to be ready for your race, but don't put that at the cost of only doing marathon-specific training mm-hmm. you, for the next year. You'd probably get better if you did it at the in a specific block mm-hmm. later. And worked on other skills like the ones we've just talked about Mm -hmm. earlier in your cycle. Next, you have to consider functional strength. And probably some, no, not probably, certainly some connective tissue issues that I'm not qualified to diagnose at a high enough level. So we won't dissect that stuff, but it has correlations with the volume, frequency, and specificity of your work Mm -hmm. as a runner. To build on Dr. Hansen's language from the last episode, functional strength both in your running like hill work but also in your cross training modalities Mm -hmm. like whatever it is for you weights hip series deadlifting sherman tanks deadlifting large 
substantial objects, <laughs> yoga, yeah. whatever it is. It allows those stabilizing muscles to keep stabilizing and lets the power muscles spend more time producing power mm-hmm. and less trying to compensate for issues in stabilization. Okay. Again, that that's sense. another factor that could push that wall back right. or lessen it. Mm-hmm. And so it may even reduce that total muscle damage over the course of the marathon. And that is something that that muscle damage, it increases fatigue. Mm-hmm. It decreases critical speed. As we saw after 120 minutes in a test, mm-hmm. I want to reinforce your goal has got to be right here, though. It's got to be realistic right. because uh, all this stuff becomes largely irrelevant mm-hmm. but think about the times when your goal was pretty well on and maybe you ran a negative split approach mm-hmm. in a race like this guess what you never did you never went beyond this whatever this steady term is mm-hmm. this place where you popped above critical speed you were able to continue going yeah you were getting tired mm-hmm. you are starting to fatigue but you haven't reached the fatigue point that dr joiner defined mm-hmm. because i'm still hitting those paces i might just have to work harder to right. do them to bring it back full circle sometimes you have to do work increasing your speed while you're fatiguing mm. sometimes you have to know what that's going to feel like and you have to train your body to go through that experience and get better with it so it's why cutting down within a workout, working progressively within a workout yeah. is really different from going to the well. That makes sense. You know, doing Ks with the last one that finishes three, four, five seconds faster than the first one mm-hmm. could be a natural progression. A lot of times in a workout, the first rep may even be somewhat of an extension of the warm up. Mm-hmm. You might employ something steady for both physical and mental stimulation to gateway into the workout. But take a, a workout that we do a lot, and I, I've i mentioned it on our progression run episode, go back to the workouts we love series, which was all about just kind of some different stuff to spice it up. You don't ever have to do any of it. You can keep it simple. But mm-hmm. one of them we mentioned in there is a three-mile, two-mile, one-mile broken progression run. Yeah. Uh, we tend to employ it with a half mile easy recovery. You could tinker with that and make it a half mile float, mm-hmm. or you can reduce it. I've, I've reduced it and gone three minutes easy in between the first two reps and two minutes easy uh, after the two mile. Okay. But in that, what we're doing is moving across pace ranges, but we don't finish all out mm-hmm. in it. There's still something there. There's a freshness to say I could have done more. And leaving feeling fresh is Mm -hmm. so valuable Mm -hmm. that maybe it started at half marathon pace. Mm -hmm. And then that was three miles. And then the two miles was just a little faster. And then the mile was at 10K. Or if you're getting really fit, it was at 8K. Now what we're doing is starting to introduce the fatigue elements and still running fast. Mm -hmm. I remember this workout. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. One more note on increasing speed while fatiguing. There's a delineation here between, I'm not saying increasing effort. Okay. Because you're already tired, because fatigue has been introduced and you're deep into this workout, your perception of effort now, mm-hmm. it's going to get really, really hard. And so I would want to be more focused on actually hitting a target pace mm-hmm. to manipulate a certain adaptation. Mm-hmm. Not an effort level. I tend to love training by effort. Right. But here, that effort might not actually correlate okay. to creating the adaptations you're trying to create because you're not running fast enough to stimulate those things. I see. Cosmo, I uh, I put a lot out there for you. Oh, yeah, I appreciate it. You opened that can of worms. Yes. I hope this gives everybody a, a good basis, a foundation in what it means, what's happening to you when you're hitting Mm -hmm. the wall or when you're going to the well, and then how we can use those in our training better. How how we can use these paces more appropriately Mm -hmm. so that we're not constantly drawing the water out of that well so it's there on race day and I can use it when I get to the aid station at mile 20. Mm -hmm. The metaphorical aid station still has goose and water there for me yeah because i haven't taken my body over that cliff that's good 
I appreciate you weaving that web for us. It definitely has made my last training block make a lot more sense. Cool. Um, going through that. So, yes. All right, brother. I think we should call it there. Let's do it. That is mile 76 of the Seconds Flat Running podcast. Again, next time out, we will have Doug Allred, race director, Gate River Run 15K, and Frank Lara, defending champion, to preview the race. Can't wait for that race in a few weeks down in Jacksonville. Thanks for joining us. As always, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Like, comment, subscribe, tell all your friends, and uh, keep an eye out for a new video. That's coming next. We're getting ready to record. Yeah. All right, Cosmo, it's been great. Congrats on a great performance at the Greenville Half Marathon. Looking forward to the build. Fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. Toledo in eight weeks gets you a new PR in the marathon. I look forward to it. Keep you away from that wall, buddy. That's right. All right, guys, we will see you next week here on Seconds Flat.